Hey everyone, and welcome back to Vonication, the podcast dedicated to catching them all. Not STDs, Pokemon. <laughs> also dedicated to ruining your entire childhood. You guys remember the Lion King? Yeah, that's a fucking mess. Don't get me started. I am your nightmare-inducing host who makes children cry, Jack. Right off the bat, I know this is a podcast about sex, and seeing that put together with Pokemon might ring some alarm bells? This is not an episode dedicated to Rule 34. I'm not going to talk about hentai, even though I unfortunately did not manage to avoid seeing it in my research, for lack of a better term. It's not research, but <laughs> but if you're worried that I'm going to be going down that score bunny hole, fear not. Shit, that sounded like a really bad sex joke. Fuck, I did make that into hentai, and I was just trying to say rabbit hole. Fuck, dude. Ugh. Anyways, we're going to be talking about Pokemon from a biological perspective. If you're someone who can't identify a Butterfree from a Venomoth, this might be a difficult episode for you, but I'm going to ask you to stay anyways, because I am wildly curious. I'm just dying to know how this episode would sound to somebody who is completely unfamiliar with Pokemon. Please tell me. Or, you know, if that's not you, if you do know Butterfree and a Venomoth, show your parents or something and ask them what the fuck is going on in this episode. I would ask my own parents, but they're currently addicted to Pokemon Go, so that wouldn't work. Like, they're more addicted than I am. It's kind of... I was gonna say pathetic, but it is kind of cool. <laughs> Side note, do you guys want to hear something just disgustingly cute? So, I'm gonna tell you anyways. <laughs> my mom's name is Monika. So when my brother and I were kids who insisted on Pokemon being on TV just all hours of the day, my dad got in the habit of calling my mom Nikachu, since he had heard the name Pikachu on TV so often. <laughs> and he still calls her that sometimes. Like, doesn't that just make you want to throw up or something? Just, ugh, gross. Anyways, back to biology, which is not gross. 30% of the time. Professional estimate from a professional non-expert with no credentials. Why are you guys even here? So, Pokemon biology. Pokeology. The study of Pokemon. I might actually be an expert in that. I attend Smogon University, which is a fake university on the internet with only one degree path, which is Pokeology. <laughs> I was gonna say Pokeology, but turns out that's actually a restaurant that serves Pokeballs, which is also good, just not related at all. Pokemon was started by a dude named Satoshi Tajiri because as a kid, he loved collecting insects, which explains a lot about the Pokemon universe. <laughs> Unfortunately, Pokemon are not actually real, much to the dismay of my parents when the only thing I asked for on my Christmas wish list for two years in a row was a real live Pokemon. I didn't want anything else. Anyways, Pokemon aren't real, but they are typically based off of real animals that follow some of the same biological rules that exist in the real world. Except for, like, the later generations when they clearly started running out of ideas. Like, Klefki. What the fuck is Klefki? It's a living key ring with keys. Like, and it just loves to collect keys and that's the whole Pokemon. Like, shut the fuck up. Or Vanillux. So Vanillux is just two scoops of vanilla ice cream, but make it Siamese twins. That's... <laughs> Except apparently it's not actually ice cream. It's just a substance that behaves and looks exactly like vanilla ice cream, so I don't know what the fuck you're trying to accomplish there, but it's dumb. If you were trying to be stupid, I guess you did accomplish it. Anyways, back to the non-lame Pokemon, the cool Pokemon, like I said, many of them are based off of real animals in some capacity. So for example, Eevee is based off of a fennec fox, Pikachu is a giant mouse with pointy ears, so animal-esque. <laughs> 
Uh, Squirtle is obviously a turtle. Jigglypuff, um, I'm not really sure about Jigglypuff. I guess it's just like the personification of pink and spite, which is also cool. Fortunately for this podcast, the Pokemon franchise has all but confirmed that Pokemon have sex to breed without explicitly saying so. So for example, in the 21st episode of the TV series, and yes, I've been rewatching it, and that's exactly the episode that inspired me to do this. <laughs> in the 21st episode, it's called Bye Bye Butterfree. And Ash Ketchum, who is the main character, if you're not acquainted somehow, he notices a large group of Butterfree flying around. And he's told that they're flying around in this giant swarm and congregating because it's their, it's their season of love, you know? They're all trying to... I mean, it's springtime. <laughs> you guys know what animals do in the springtime. <laughs> they're all trying to find a mate. And I'm actually, I'm not paraphrasing here. They actually say it in the cartoon that these Butterfree are swarming to find a mate. So Ash realizes that his own Butterfree is, it's a virgin, and he releases it into this swarm of Butterfree so that it can find its own mate and pop its cherry, right? So his Butterfree kind of flies around, window shopping, not really interested in anyone, until he finds a unique pink Butterfree. Because how else would we know that it's a girl Butterfree if it's not pink? Ash's Butterfree does all sorts of moves and dances and generally makes a fool of himself trying to impress the girl Butterfree so that they can make some babies. He even goes so far as to put on a fancy scarf tied in a bow in the hopes that she'll think that he's dashing and fashionable, which happily is pretty fucking accurate to real butterflies. So for starters, butterflies will often have varying colors to distinguish between males and females of a species. So even though I griped about the pink Butterfree, it's actually pretty acceptable. And I'll even accept the scarf to some extent because the males do tend to be the more brightly colored, flashy sex. And the courtship dance is also very real in most butterfly species, generally starting with the male dancing to impress her and the female joining the dance if she consents to sexy time. And it's certainly not uncommon for some butterfly species to do it in a swarm, generally right after hatching from the chrysalis. Obviously, the cartoon didn't show the part where the male butterflies generally have sex with the female butterflies while they're still in the chrysalis so that they can just not be told no, but it's a cartoon and it's for kids, so I get it. But regardless, this means that we have some evidence for Pokemon sex, right? So the next one is a move that Pokemon can use in battle. The move is called Attract. So Pokemon can use this move Attract, and if the opposing Pokemon is the opposite sex, that Pokemon will become infatuated and it won't want to attack the Pokemon anymore, right? Furthermore, it can't be used either on Pokemon or by Pokemon who either have an unknown sex or no sex at all. So basically it doesn't work on asexual Pokemon, which is fantastic. <laughs> I think that's so funny and just so, what's the word? Science inclusive? Um, sexuality inclusive, but like, I don't know. Biological. It's so biological. Whatever. That was really not elegant. <laughs> Anyways. It also does not work on Pokemon whose ability is oblivious, which is probably going to be a slowpoke, who is famous for being stupid. So I guess that's just supposed to be a joke about people not realizing when they're being flirted with. And I love that too. <laughs> so we know that Pokemon can experience sexual attraction. This is great news for the case that I'm building here. But the most damning piece of evidence by far is the existence of Pokemon breeding centers, or also called daycares. With the existence of these, there's just no way at all to deny that Pokemon get laid. 
So it, it works exactly like it would in the real world, just with, you know, some added artistic license, of course. So you take two Pokemon, one female and one male, and you stick them in the breeding center or, or the daycare, and if they're genetically compatible, you'll be told that they seem to like each other. Wink, wink. Now, okay, genetically compatible is referred to with some different terminology in the Pokemon world. They're not going to say that because this is geared towards kids, even though usually it's adults like me playing it, but whatever. In the Pokemon world, they just call it egg groups. Think about how a horse can mate with a zebra, but it cannot mate with an elephant. So too it is with Pokemon, you know? An apom can breed with a manky, which, I mean, it makes sense, they're both vaguely primates, but a manky cannot breed with a Charizard, because primates and actual fucking dragons aren't really genetically related. <laughs> Although, get this, oh my god, according to the Pokemon universe, the tiny mouse Pokemon Rattata breeding with a whale lord who is a whole fucking whale, is genetically compatible. Like, no. Yikes. I would not want to be the Rattata in this situation. <laughs> I imagine the evolutionary tree in Pokemon has different branches than ours. Notably, the asexual Pokemon I mentioned earlier are not able to breed if you put two of them into the breeding center. Which makes sense. They're asexual. I get that. Basically, the only way to breed them out is by sticking one of them into the daycare, but also sticking them with a ditto. And a ditto is a blob of something. I don't think it's really ever explained what a ditto is made out of, but a ditto is famous for being a transforming Pokemon. It can change into anything. So I'm gonna guess that this works by uh, cloning in some capacity. I don't know, I don't know. More research needs to be done. Um, I've never really seen Pokemon fucking because, as I said, I was not trying to go to that part of the internet. Maybe it's explained on some of the darker parts, but I have not been there. Either way, the important thing that I was trying to convey not very well is that asexual Pokemon cannot breed by reproducing sexually. So anyways, I'm gonna move on. After some time spent together in the daycare, it turns out that they liked each other, well, if you put two Pokemon that sexually reproduce into the daycare, not a ditto, but it turns out that they liked each other so much that they boinked, and they laid an egg, which eventually hatches into a real live Pokemon, and that is how Pokemon breed. All Pokemon are exclusively oviparous. All eggs are hatched outside of the body. No live births in the Pokemon universe. Probably to avoid drawings of live Pokemon birth on the internet. I get it. So there you have it, damning evidence of Pokemon fuckery. But obviously, that brings up so many more questions than it actually answers. <laughs> now, as far as I'm aware, breeding two Pokemon from the same egg group does not result in a hybrid Pokemon, like breeding a horse with a zebra does. Which is cute as fuck, by the way. Please Google that. And I think this is the first time I'm encouraging you guys to Google something rather than warning you not to, so please listen to me. Google horse-zebra hybrids or zebra-donkey hybrids. Equally cute. Anyways, with Pokemon, what hatches will end up being one of the two parent Pokemon species, if you use two different Pokemon, like a Rattata and a Wailord. Interestingly, rather than being a 50-50% chance, that's, that's not how you say that, <laughs> rather than being a 50-50 chance or a 50% chance if you get a mouse or a whale, it's predetermined. The baby Pokemon will always be the same species as the mother, now, that is pretty fucking weird. To inherit 
all of the genetic material from only one parent using sexual reproduction? No, that, <laughs> that doesn't really happen. I was trying to think of a real world example and I have been struggling. First, I was thinking like uh, the New Mexico whiptail lizard, but she reproduces asexually, so it's not really the same. So then I was thinking of honeybees, but that would only count for unfertilized eggs. The eggs in Pokemon are fertilized. I mean, as far as I can tell, it doesn't really seem like they have a haplodiploidic sex determination system, which I explained in my honeybee episode. <clears throat> you should listen to it. <clears throat> After much searching, I finally found an example of the father not passing on any genetic material to the offspring in a species that reproduces sexually. Because of course, nature is so goddamn fucking weird, I can find an example for anything, even that. So let me explain. Here is the example that I found. A teeny tiny little roundworm called C. elegans or the full name incorrectly pronounced most likely is Canerhabditis, no, Canerhabditis, Habditis? Canerhabditis elegans. I don't know, it's Latin, you guys. <laughs> or maybe it's Greek. I'm pretty sure it's Latin. I'm not a languageologist, that's not what you guys are here for. They only have two sexes, males and hermaphrodites. This makes me think it's possible that Pokemon have a similar biology. Let's explore. A study published in 2016 determined that during mating, both the male and the hermaphrodite, which would be the father and the mother respectively, bring their genetics to the party. But upon fertilization, the paternal mitochondria basically self-destructs, so only the maternal mitochondria gets passed down to the young, and that has all the mitochondrial DNA. So it might explain why these Pokemon, born from two different species, are still capable of growing up to breed, while most hybrid animals in the real world end up being infertile. Maybe. We might have to hit up Professor Oak to, uh, to find out for sure. <laughs> but I'm not sure if the creators of Pokemon knew about this roundworm or this kind of process when they implemented the system, but I am seriously ecstatic about the rabbit hole, not score bunny hole, that it led me down to find some biological basis for it. I love getting to learn new shit to make this podcast for you guys, even in a podcast about Pokemon, which aren't real. <laughs> Yet. Another thing we see a good bit of in Pokemon is something that I end up talking about a lot in this podcast, which is sexual dimorphism, because it happens a lot, even in Pokemon. I touched on it a little bit with Butterfree in the beginning, but that's not remotely the only example of it. The most literal, perfect application of it I've seen in Pokemon is with a species called Unpheasant, which is based off of a pheasant, which is a type of bird. It doesn't look like a pheasant, but you can tell it's clearly supposed to be like a game bird that you would hunt. But female Unpheasants are, like a lot of bird species, pretty plain. They're gray and brown and fairly boring, as it happens. The male unpheasants, on the other hand, are basically wearing bright green pants and have long pink ribbons around their eyes. It's very flashy, very bird-like. Kind of proud of them for that. There's over 100 Pokemon species that display some level of sexual dimorphism. Most of them are pretty slight differences, barely noticeable. Like the female Rattata have slightly shorter whiskers than males. Male Viaplume have smaller spots on their petals. Male Rhyhorn have larger horns. Weirdly enough, female Wobbuffet wear lipstick for some fucking reason? I don't think I like that. It's just like, uncomfortable and I'm not really sure what they're trying to accomplish with that, you know? Anyways, 
other Pokemon species have pretty significant differences in their dimorphism. The example most people probably would think of is Nidoran, who eventually evolves into either a Nidoking or a Nidoqueen, depending on the Pokemon's sex. I'm sure you can guess which is which. Actually, you know what? Based on how fucked up nature is, maybe not. Male Nidorans evolve into Nidoking, female Nidorans evolve into Nidoqueen. Apparently, the differences between the two are so pronounced that they're considered different species, which is actually not the only example of this happening in Pokemon. There's also the B Pokemon, Illumis and Volbeat, where Illumis is a female-only species and Volbeat is a male-only species, exactly the same as Nidoqueen and Nidoking. For those examples, the entire evolutionary chain is made up of different Pokemon. A female Nidoran is still a different species than a male Nidoran, but nature has variety, which I think you know by now. <laughs> so Pokemon took inspiration and implemented variety. So with the Pokemon Curlia, all male and female Curlia are considered the same species, but when it evolves, if it's a female Curlia, it will evolve into a Gardevoir, and if it's a male Curlia, it will evolve into a Gallade, which are different species. I think it's really cool how they have multiple avenues and applications for biological sex and evolution and stuff in Pokemon. It's how nature works, and I love that it's how nature works in Pokemon too. But sometimes in Pokemon, significant sexual dimorphism doesn't always result in different species. There are two Pokemon, Meowstic and Indity, that have drastically different appearances, but their differences go even further than that. In my opinion, they are practically two different species of Pokemon. Males and females have different abilities that they can have, they have different moves and attacks that they're able to learn, they even have different stats. One possibly accidentally stereotyping example is that a male Meowstic can learn the moves Mean Look and Imprison, while a female Meowstic can learn Future Sight and Extrasensory. Another is that the male Indidi have better offensive stats, while female Indidi have better defensive stats. Maybe it's not accidental. My last example of sexual dimorphism is the Pokemon Salandit, and more specifically, the evolved form Salazzle. In this case, only female Salandits can evolve into Salazzles. All males remain uninvolved forever, and presumably at the bottom of the social hierarchy. Now, matriarchal societies are actually pretty common in the world, my favorite matriarchal society being Spotted Hyenas, but that's not just a matriarchal society. That is a male remaining fairly juvenile while the female gets to grow up. Fortunately, I can give you guys an example of that situation existing too, with one of my other favorite animals, the anglerfish. But I already did an episode on that, so instead, I'll say the blanket octopus. But I won't say any more than that because I'm planning on doing an episode. If you like sword fights, stick around for it. Let's move on to the next topic of discussion. A Pokemon biological event based on actual biology in the real world. Let's talk about evolution. It's real. Not sorry to burst any bubbles. In the franchise, as I'm sure most or probably all of you are aware, this involves a super fast metamorphosis where the Pokemon will suddenly change into a similar but definitely different Pokemon. Usually it's bigger and stronger and just like more. <laughs> now obviously this has some foundation in actual evolution. Like one day there's this weird thing that kind of looks like a tapir and then all of a sudden, over the course of a gazillion years, you have a woolly mammoth. Very similar to hanging out with a lizard, and then all of a sudden, in the course of three seconds, he turns into a giant flying dragon towering over you with a flaming tail. The differences here are just details. 
Now, obviously I can't find any examples of evolution occurring that fast in real life. That is a tall order. But if you stretch out the timeline, Pokemon evolution is pretty reasonable. There's a shit ton of examples for animals who undergo metamorphosis at various stages in their life. And more than metamorphosis, like you were a smaller, younger looking version before, and now you're bigger, because that's lame, and I hate being part of a species that doesn't undergo drastic changes. The fact that the younger version of me was just like me, but smaller and with better taste and fashion is unacceptable. The obvious example I can give you here is, again, butterflies. We got caterpillar, chrysalis, butterfly. I'm sure you guys have heard of this. And this is basically just, you know, caterpie, metapod, butterfree. Since that has already been addressed in Pokemon with the existence of that evolutionary chain, I will assume that it doesn't occur when it's not specified like that, so we strike it from the list. Let's go with frogs. Frogs are dope, and frogs are distinct. You see a frog and you sure as fuck know that it's a frog. Actually, you know what? That's a lie. I forgot about toads for a second, <laughs> who are also dope. I also love toads. I'm kind of going through like a frog and, well, not really a toad phase. I am going through a frog phase, but I don't want to like exclude toads from the coolness. They do have a fairly similar structure, I guess, to frogs, but it's fine for the sake of this example. For the most part, frogs and also toads start off as tadpoles, which look very unfrog or toad-like. Eventually, they grow up big and strong into a completely different looking animal. A better example that I probably should have started off with is freshwater eels. If you didn't listen to my episode on it, you should, because it's amazing. I mean, it's okay, but I'm gonna say that it's amazing because this is my podcast. Spoiler alert, eels have five life stages that all look so different from each other that researchers thought they were all different species. To me, that represents the most common form of evolution that we see in Pokemon, which is just leveling up. Your Pokemon got stronger and more experienced and basically just grew up into a more adult version of themselves. I'm gonna further extrapolate here as I've been known to do and assume that when you smash B to stop the evolution or if you give your Pokemon an Everstone, it's basically just giving your Pokemon puberty blockers or hormone blockers. I guess maybe a more scientific term for animals rather than humans would be like fertility suppression? Maybe, I didn't actually look up that term, I just, it sounds pretty sciency. You know what, all words are made up, okay? It all works. Now, obviously there are other ways to evolve your Pokemon, which we're gonna call conditional evolution. No, I did not come up with that, I'm not that creative. Although, you know what, I did come up with fertility suppression. I am creative, fuck you. Well, okay, not fuck you. Fuck the hypothetical you that's putting me down, which is actually just me inside my own head. I think I need to increase my Adderall dosage. Anyways, as the name implies, with conditional evolution, certain conditions have to be met for the Pokemon to undergo evolution. The most common version would be by using evolution stones, like thunderstones, waterstones, moonstones, you get it. With this kind of evolution, a Pokemon's life experience or age is irrelevant. An Eevee can evolve into a Jolteon at level 1 or level 100 just the same if you give it a Thunderstone. Naturally, we have evolution stones in real life too. No, I'm not going to talk about energy crystals. They're definitely less elegant than the ones in the franchise, but they work in a pretty similar capacity. Similar enough. Enough. We call our evolution stones uranium. I propose that in Pokemon, Evolution stones are just rocks brimming with radiation, specific radiation signatures based on what type of stone, that are somehow contained so it's safe to handle. 
I think we all already know that the Pokemon universe is more technologically advanced. I mean, they have shrink rays contained within Pokeballs. So they've probably managed to manufacture a way to safely contain the radiation within the rocks. But when you choose to expose a Pokemon to all of that radiation all at once, it results in a bunch of genetic mutations, which at its core, that's what evolution truly is, genetic mutations. The radiation just speeds it up by a whole lot. Going all the way back to the 1920s, when scientific experimentation was a free-for-all that disregarded things like basic safety and ethics and shit, Dr. Herman Joseph Muller discovered that x-rays could speed up genetic mutations by up to 100 times faster. Unfortunately, the mutations are a bit unpredictable. What this dude did was he blasted a bunch of fruit flies with radiation, and then he had the ones that survived mate, and then he measured the amount of mutations in the offspring, and he got a Nobel Prize for radiating fruit flies. So then, scientists started radiating the fuck out of things to induce faster evolution. Fortunately, we live a hundred years after this dude was doing his experiment, so we have things like CRISPR technology so we can alter genetic material without all of the radiation and unintended side effects. But as fucked up as it was, it definitely did work. He induced evolution at a very, very fast pace. It did come at the cost of damage to DNA, which is a side effect that humans are still suffering from. So I think it's reasonable to draw the conclusion that the reason why all Pokemon who evolve by using an evolution stone are unable to evolve any further is because the stone damaged their DNA too badly to be able to survive mutating further. But that's just my hypothesis. I would obviously need access to a real life Pokemon and a bunch of equipment and maybe some credentials that qualify me to run those experiments. But regardless, it's not really possible right now, so. Never mind. My boyfriend proposed that evolution stones are just a metaphor for steroids, which I can also see merit in, unfortunately, so I'm at a crossroads where I have to consider admitting the possibility that I might slightly be a tiny bit wrong about a fictional biological process in a fictional show about fictional animals. <sighs> I refuse. Some Pokemon, weirdly, evolve only when taken to a certain place. Leafeon, for example, evolves when taken to a mossy rock. And somehow, even this has basis in biology. Except the Galarian Yamask Pokemon? I will not believe that walking under a bridge with a certain amount of bodily trauma leads to evolution. That is too much. But a mossy rock? I can buy that. Still a stretch, but I'll buy it. Many newts undergo metamorphosis. But unlike most amphibians undergoing metamorphosis due to a change in their diet, Newt start the process due to a change in their habitat. When the newt larva starts growing up, it gets sick of swimming around and moves to the land. To walk. Just like the first fish that decided to eventually evolve into a human and fuck up my life. To deal with the unique challenges of living on land versus water, it absorbs the gill sacs and loses them completely, as well as some other physiological changes. So there's maybe some basis for Eevee evolving into a Leafeon when you take it to a certain place, you know? I mean, I get that a fennec fox isn't really a newt, but I'm trying here, you guys. I'm trying. <laughs> for most other conditional evolutions, we'll have to delve into hypotheses rather than true biological examples, which is unfortunate. Maybe if we start releasing radiation everywhere, some of these will come true? We'll see. World War III is coming up. Some Pokemon, like Espeon, can only be evolved in the daytime. Its counterpart, Umbreon, who is objectively, of course, cooler and better than Espeon, can only be evolved at night. My first thought here was photosynthesis, 
It seemed pretty obvious to me that's kind of the biggest difference between day and night, but turns out there are Pokemon like Bulbasaur that actually use photosynthesis according to their Pokedex entries, but are not limited in evolution based on time of day. So my only guess here would be UV light. Ultraviolet radiation from the sun can damage DNA. I mean, obviously you're gonna be fine walking around the beach, but in large doses, it can cause the same kind of damage as the radiation I talked about earlier. I believe that Pokemon who evolve in the daytime have a mutation that makes them significantly more sensitive to the effects of UV radiation, which is why they evolve in the daytime while most Pokemon are just fine in the daytime. For Pokemon that evolve in the nighttime, however, I had to do a lot of digging, but I think I came up with maybe an answer, well, a hypothesis. I imagine that they evolve in the nighttime because they're just insanely photoperiodic. <laughs> if that's a new word for you, don't worry, it is to me too. <laughs> Basically, plants and animals that are photoperiodic have periods of behavior based on the length of either light or darkness. So think about an animal that hibernates. The days get shorter and the nights get longer. And at some point, the nights get long enough that the bear decides to go to hibernate. Some species of plants even change their metabolic rates based on how long it's either light or dark out. Some animals change their actual anatomy based on seasonality, like getting bigger balls in the springtime because that's the common season of sex. So I would guess that Pokemon evolve because they're photosensitive and they lean towards scotophilia, which is a word that I just made up now, which means preferring darkness. Trademarked. It's not trademarked. After enough exposure to darkness, they undergo an anatomical change, not necessarily enlarged testes, but not necessarily not enlarged testes. Other Pokemon like Sylveon evolved due to having a high friendship level with their trainer. So that is pretty fucking weird. Like, <laughs> Imagine getting to know somebody and as you guys level up in friendship, you know, you guys start off as acquaintances, you go to friends, and as you guys turn into best friends, you're both suddenly enveloped in a flash of light and you come out with wings or some shit. That'd be crazy, that'd be awesome. Or what if, oh, so much worse. What if when you evolved like that and then you emerged and you discovered the other person just didn't? That would be super uncomfortable. Would you unevolve? I'm not sure. My guess is that there's a connection to the dopamine levels present in a Pokemon's brain, which are released when you're around the people that you love. If you don't have any of those, don't worry. We get the same happy brain drugs from our cats and dogs. Go to the shelter and get yourself a prescription. But I think in Pokemon, the dopamine levels would set off a chemical reaction that would provoke evolution. Kind of like a weird version of puberty, maybe. Some Pokemon even evolved due to symbiotic relationships with other Pokemon. Like my boy Slowpoke, whom I adore. I love him. I want one in real life. He would be just a perfect pal. Slowpoke uses his tail to fish for food, just like a jaguar does. Except without the lightning fast reflexes or the giant skull crushing canine teeth. Comparatively, or even not comparatively, Slowpoke is pretty chill. Now, Shelter loves the secretions from Slowpoke's tail. Not sure why its tail secretes shit, but I'm rolling with it. Apparently it smells like food though, because the Shelter just chomps down on his tail. Fortunately for Slowpoke, this version of symbiosis is mutualistic, not parasitic. Both Pokemon benefit from the relationship of Shelter chomping down on Slowpoke's tail, who has now evolved into Slowbro. On one hand, Shelter gets the scraps of Slowbro's food, and on the other hand, Slowbro gets Xanax. Okay, technically, Shelter's releasing a poison into the Slowpoke, or I guess Slowbro now, while he's sinking his teeth in, but it's apparently a pretty mild poison because Slowbro either doesn't experience anything detrimental, or he's too stupid to realize that he's dying. 
probably in part because Shelder's poison causes numbness and has a painkiller in it. And in large doses, it causes mental degradation because the more of the toxin that Shelder releases into Slowbro, the more Slowbro spaces out. It's wild that such a stupid Pokemon can get even more stupid. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not hating. I just, I think it's funny. <laughs> Unless though, Shelter jumps up and bites Slowpoke on the head, in which case, Slowpoke evolves into Slow King instead of Slowbro. And the toxins seeping into Slowpoke's brain turn Slow King into a straight up genius. Unfortunately, I can only find examples of poisons or parasites decreasing cognitive function or hijacking animals to get themselves killed. Couldn't find anything that made you smarter. I mean, otherwise that would probably be like a really expensive, really awesome black market drug. The Pokemon Mantike also has an interesting evolution completely dependent on symbiosis. As a loud and super proud fan of manta rays and the Elasma branch gang in general, which is, you know, manta rays and sharks and stuff, I fucking adore Mantike and Mantine. And this specific example of symbiotic evolution is my favorite because A, manta rays, of course, and B, this is practically taken out of a scientific journal or something. It's as dead on as a cartoon about fake animals realistically can be. A Mantike cannot evolve into a Mantine unless the trainer also has the Pokemon Remoraid in their Pokemon party. Now, while Mantike and Mantine are obviously based off of a Manta Ray, Remoraid is based off of a fish called Remoras. And in the real world with real animals, Manta Rays and Remoras are best buddies, literally attached to each other. Rays are disgustingly messy eaters, but Remoras don't mind the bad manners because they get to eat the scraps. And in return, rays get regular spa treatments, which ends up preventing bacterias and parasites. So my hypothesis here is that Mantike can't evolve into a Mantine without Remoraid because without the benefit of regular antibacterial baths, they would get sick and die long before they'd be able to grow up into a big strong Mantine. Which is tragic, I admit, but nature is a cruel mother even in the Pokemon universe. And that is all the Pokemon biology that I'm gonna ramble about today, because I'm sure this is about to be a super long episode. If you do want me to do some follow-ups though, let me know, and I will, because I love Pokemon, and biology, and apparently Pokemon biology. <laughs> in the meantime, let's talk about charities real quick. Once again, I will be donating every single penny from the Phonication Patreon and matching it. And if you're not a patron and want to become one, you should. I still have some t-shirts and way too many stickers, so I'll send you some free shit. <laughs> Plus, you get to feel good about donating to animals in need. Now, which animals in need, you might ask? Let me explain. After reading a research paper published by the Okinawa Institute of Science and Technology Graduate University about the harmful effects of poaching the Garura Kangaskani, colloquially known as Kangaskan, the only Pokemon endemic to Australia, I initially wanted to provide a donation to support the Kangaskan conservation efforts. But, as it turns out, it was an April Fool's Day prank, and Australia is not hiding any real live Kangaskhan, so I am torn. But then, one of my amazing, lovely, awesome patrons, Gina, who is cool as fuck, suggested elephants, who are coincidentally also affected by poachers, who are not as cool as Gina is. They're pretty opposite. Gina cool, poacher, asshole who is also lame. So we're gonna help out elephants. If you enjoy this podcast for some fucking reason and want to support it, go see a therapist. And while you're in the lobby, you should rate Phonication on iTunes. It actually does help out. Until the next episode, I love you freaks. Bye! What's up with the job? Job? What's up with the job?